Welcome to History Through Biography, exploring the lives of famous and noteworthy Americans from the founding to the present. And now our hosts, authors Joe Farrell, Joe Farley, and Lawrence Knorr. Hi, this is Lawrence Knorr with the Joes, Farrell and Farley at the Idle Mind Studio in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania. We're going to be talking about the founders today. We've done several books on the founders, Graves of Our Founders and Pennsylvania Patriots, specifically drilling in on some of those Pennsylvania Patriots. We'd like to talk about three of them today. And the first one, Joe Farrell is going to lead off with Charles Thompson. Hi. Um, I'm really surprised that Charles Thompson isn't like better known. It's very few people seem to be able to identify him or have ever heard of him. And yet he played a very important role in the whole founding of our nation. He had quite a remarkable life. It started off very difficult. He was born in Derry County, County Derry, Ireland, in 1729. And, and his mother died when he was about 10. And shortly after his mother died, he and his father set out for Philadelphia with his three oldest brothers. His father got sick on the trip and died within sight of the Delaware shore. And well, he saw Delaware and said, oh, God, I don't feel too good. <laughs> Does everybody react to Delaware that way? <laughs> and, uh, not since Biden's been Oh, not since Biden, okay. <laughs> As a result, the, uh, the boys were split up, and Charles was placed in the custody of, in the care of a local blacksmith as an indentured servant, sort of as an indentured servant. He was 11 years old at the time that this happened. So um, through luck and good fortune, however, Charles, um, he, he met a local woman who had connections and helped him get into the new London, no, get into the um, um, New London Academy in Chester County. And that was a big break for him. And in, in that, while a student there, he befriends Ben Franklin. <laughs> All the while he knows Ben, he's talking to him about the potential of getting a job in Philadelphia because mm -hmm. he'd really like to go to Philadelphia. It's a, a place that sounds very attractive to him as a young man. And Ben delivers. Ben gets him a job at the Academy in Philadelphia where Ben was chairman of the Board of Trustees. And in 1751, Charles Thompson uh, started at the Academy of Philadelphia. While living in Philly, he becomes real uh, in involved and interested in the American cause. He gets real involved in the uh, Sons of Liberty in Philadelphia and became very active in the keeping of English goods, British goods out of Philadelphia. Boycotting those goods became a big cause for him as well as the whole taxation without representation thing. He was big on that as well. He became known, he became so, he was so vehement about these issues and worked so hard on them, he became known as the Sam Adams of Philadelphia. He was selected as a delegate to the First Continental Congress. He was so well known, you know, as an advocate for the cause. And in 1774, when the uh, First Continental Congress met on the very first day he was unanimously selected as secretary because the first order of business that uh, James Madison brought up 
was we need somebody, somebody we can trust, somebody who's we can you know whose word can be the word to keep track of what we do to 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 and to verify what we have done and to keep records of it so that we don't you know so we have cohesion and we have a record of well, now I'm a little confused was he actually a member of the Continental Congress because you said he was elected or was he the secretary of congress without voting privileges it's it, my understanding is that he did not have voting privileges because he was secretary okay on the, no i'm not even sure if that's true though joe i mean i don't know the answer to that because he signed the declaration of independence but not as a delegate he signed it as secretary okay so i don't know if he had a vote in all the matters of congress i really don't know Okay, well, that's for the listeners to find out. <laughs> so he would hold a position of delegate for 15, of, of the secretary for 15 years through the First and Second Continental Congresses and also through the Confederation Congress. He kept minutes of all sessions of Congress and all the secret meetings and deals that were made. Today, you'd probably call him a prothonotary. In all disputes, his judgment was respected, and he insisted that full and honest reports be issued under his signature regarding all battles and all engagements, won or lost. His name became regarded as an emblem of the truth. Just think of what communications were like at that time. You know, you'd be living in no... York, Pennsylvania, or Boston, Massachusetts, and you hear a story that we won a battle, or we beat the British, or we lost the battle, or someone's been killed, or the troops are heading this way, or and you don't know what to believe for sure, because very often it wasn't true, the story you heard. But if an, a document came with Charles Thompson's name on it, then you could take it to the bank then it was true. <clears throat> and so he became very important in that regard. I have a question on that, too. Largely because we had a third of the country Tories, a third that were abstaining, and a third that were patriots. When you say that people were buying into whatever he put out, were those the patriots? Did the Tories buy into it as well? Did they buy into his story? I... I uh... <laughs> again, again, he's again he's unprepared for your question. <laughs> well, it, it, it is, you you kind of assume that that they at least would take that as a very uh, a reliable source of information, because very often the town would all turn out for the, the reading mm-hmm. of whatever came in, and everybody would assemble and somebody would read it, and, and if it had Charles Thompson's signature on it. People took it to be true. I mean, what's interesting about this, too, Charles Thompson as Secretary of the Congress, which some have said is like being the Prime Minister of the United States at that time, he also had the President of Congress. And during that whole period, I don't know how many different presidents of Congress there were, but it's probably 15 or 16, right? Yeah, a bunch. So you have all these administrations that last like six months, a month, a year, two years. But Thompson is the constant through all that. Yeah. He provided. That's right. Um, he provided continuity, institutional knowledge about what we've done or how we did it or why we did it. Because yeah. membership 
even in Congress, changed a lot, like you said, and the president changed, but so did membership change. And, uh, and very often people weren't present at Congress because they didn't make the trip from Georgia right. or whatever. You know, it, 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 but he was the institutional knowledge provider. A lot of those presidents, they didn't really like the job. So you know, it was up to Thompson to kind of keep the records, which like any corporation or organization, it's the secretary that keeps the minutes that has all those details. And you've got to rely on uh, what's been written down as gospel. Right. Um, and as I mentioned, his name appears on the first published version of the Declaration of Independence, but he signed as a non-delegate, he signed as secretary to verify, yes, this is what we passed. You know, and with his name as verifying it, somehow he didn't sign as a delegate. Now, I don't know if that means that he never voted as a delegate or just in that situation he signed and for that reason, he's not really considered a signer of the Declaration. From That's right. Right. Although right. we would, of course, consider him. I mean, he signed it right yeah. under John Hancock. His name is only on the first published version. Right. After that, after it was verified that that became published mm-hmm. as the Declaration that the Congress had passed without, without his signature being on it. He was strongly anti-slavery, called it a cancer, and... That must be wiped out, and actually predicted that if it wasn't wiped out through reason or legislation, it'll be wiped out through blood. That's you know pretty early mm-hmm. to be predicting that. His last official act in April of 1789 was traveling to Mount Vernon to officially notify George Washington that he had been elected president. Now, during this period of him being the secretary to the Congress, and keeping those, all those records about all the meetings and all the battles and all, everything that went on, he prepared a work of over a thousand pages that covered the political history of the American Revolution, basically. After leaving office, he chose to destroy this work in an effort to preserve the myths of war, of independence, the leaders as heroes, stating that his desire to avoid contradicting all the histories of the great events of the revolution. This is a quote now. Mm -hmm. Let the world admire the supposed wisdom and valor of our great men. Perhaps they may adopt the qualities that have been ascribed to them, (laughs) and thus good may be done. I shall not undeceive future generations. I love that you, word, undeceived. Do you think they were, the, the future generations have been deceived, based on what you know? Yes. You do? To an, to an extent. Well, to what extent? To the extent that the, these, these men had flaws, flaws in their thinking and flaws in their personal lives. They, oh, they were human. And they were very uh, partisan. Uh, very selfish about sometimes their own self-interest. Uh, that's what they were actually doing, protecting their own self-interest or looking out for their own self-interest. Uh, and it comes across when you learn about them as being for the good of America, but in many cases it wasn't for the good of America. Okay, so he didn't succeed. You are obviously no. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is History Through Biography. We'll be right back. 
Sunbury Press Books opens the door to Pennsylvania Dutch and German history with our imprint, Distal Fink Press. Find out about the lives of figures in early American history through the Muhlenbergs of Pennsylvania or Conrad Weiser, Friend of Colonist and Mohawk by Paul A. Wallace, Joseph G. Rosengartens, The German Soldier in the Wars of the United States or The Indians of Berks County by D.B. Bruner. Check out the wide variety of available works, both fiction and nonfiction, at sunburypress.com. This is History Through Biography, and we're back with Joe Farley talking about Governor Morris. Well, thanks, Larry. Uh, Governor Morris is a very interesting guy. Uh, Actually considered the man, he's been described as the penman of the Constitution of the United States. He was born in 1752 in New York City, and and he's actually in two of our books. He's in Gotham Gray's Volume 1 and in Pennsylvania Patriots, even though he was born in New York City, he ended up representing Pennsylvania at the Constitutional Convention, which is where he really made made his mark. He signed both the Articles of Confederation uh, and the Constitution of the United States. Uh, he was elected to the Continental Congress, or so, actually not elected, appointed by the, uh, the New York legislature the colonial legislature in 1778, uh, and he had a key role there. He was a strong supporter of George Washington. And uh, when the Conway Cabal tried to remove Washington as commander-in-chief, the vote came down. He cast the deciding vote that kept Washington in charge as commander-in-chief. I didn't realize it was that close. One of those seminal moments in history that had that vote gone the other way, the entire history of this country could have been different. So it would have been Horatio Gates instead. Correct, yes. Um, But in 1779, he had to run for election to the Congress, and he lost, at which point he moved to Philadelphia, became a merchant, uh, hooked up with Robert Morris, not a relative, uh, but he evidently really impressed Robert Morris, who was a high financier and very influential uh, himself as a founder, and became, Morris was the superintendent of finance for the colonies at the time, and he made Governor Morris his assistant, where he served from 1781 to 1785, although in the meantime, in 1780, he uh, was involved in a carriage accident. Oh, uh, yeah. Where... He had ended up having to have a leg amputated when it was caught in the wheel of the carriage. Uh, he had a reputation as being a ladies' man, uh, and although he always denied it, the rumor was that uh, he had been he was being chased by a jealous husband uh, <laughs> when the accident occurred. And as a matter of fact, John Jay, who obviously knew Governor Morris, that they were both New Yorkers wrote to Robert Morris after he heard about the accident and said, I wish the governor had lost a different appendage. (laughs) Uh, I guess it was a real (laughs) low-speed chase back in those days. (laughs) But uh, 
Yeah, so so he lost his leg. And, and which, uh, may I just ask, yeah. which appendage do you think <laughs> Mr. J was referring to? I think that's a pretty, finger or a, I, his nose, an I ear? That, I think it's relatively obvious with where John was going. With I that. see. Okay. Do, yes. you, do you think maybe that implies that it was Mrs. J that Mr. Morris was after? Shall we start a scandal two hundred some years later? <laughs> we, we could if you'd like. <laughs> At any rate. Uh, when the Constitutional Convention was called, with the support of both George Washington and Robert Morris, uh, he was elected to represent Pennsylvania at that gathering, and he was extremely active there, uh, one of the most active delegates at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, active course, as in, not, gave, not as a ladies' man. Gave, no, but he gave oh. 173 speeches. Wow. Was considered extremely, extremely important in fact, uh, uh, Catherine Bowen, who wrote the, the famous book, Miracle in Philadelphia, uh, said that uh, he was the most brilliant man at the convention. Other historians that I've read uh, rank him second only to James Madison in terms of his contributions at the Constitutional Convention, where he spent loads of time arguing against slavery. Hmm. Uh, He's, credit with, he's definitely credit with being the author of the Constitution's preamble, which many of us had to memorize when we were in grade school back when we were young people. Uh, Joe and I, at least. I'm not sure about you, Larry. You're a bit younger than we are. I'm not sure if you had to memorize it. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did not have to memorize it. Um, but he also uh, is credit with writing the draft, the first draft of the Constitution. Um, after the convention, he moved back to New York, and then he was sent to France, where he was the United States ambassador there. And during the revolution, he was highly critical of the French, and they demanded his removal. Uh, and he was eventually removed by the Washington administration. Uh, and, of course, Washington was very concerned with being neutral, didn't want any trouble with anybody, he didn't think the United States could deal with a war with either France or Great Britain. So he complied and he came back. Uh, but then in 1800, he was elected to represent the state of New York in the United States Senate, um, where he served honorably, was considered a brilliant man. Wait, wait a minute. Was, was Morris critical of the French king? No, no. He was uh, critical of the revolution. Oh, ah, so, oh, yeah. He was critical of the way the revolution was going. Ah, okay. yes. Well, it was uh, a nasty one. Yeah, much nastier than yeah, ours. Very critical of that. Um, although a ladies' man, uh, he didn't marry until he was fifty-seven years old in eighteen oh nine. The couple had one son, um, and Morris passed away. Okay. Um, on November sixteenth, eighteen. 16, as a result of an infection that he brought on himself when he tried to clear a urinary block with a whalebone. Oh, um, no, a whalebone's pretty big, Joe. <laughs> Are we talking well, about a little whalebone? I got to tell you, I'm wondering if, if this wasn't the first time he had done it because mm. it strikes me as something that he may have been successful at prior. Yes. Uh, 
and thought, I can do this again. Well, uh, I wonder if so, this infections can carry over from his earlier exploits. Well, you never know that either. Uh-huh. At any rate, uh, he's buried, and we've been there, to, at St. Anne's Episcopal Churchyard Cemetery in the Bronx in New York. And I, I find him to be an extraordinary guy. So we could say he's the only founding father killed by a whale? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. We, there are some that are missing. That's true. <laughs> Interesting. Very interesting. This is History Through Biography. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of authors from many genres. If you are into horror, thrillers, or fantasy, check out our Hellbender Books imprint, Thomas Malafarina's Maliformed Reality series, The Thirteenth Child by Nick Korolev, The State Changers series by Chris Fenwick, or the psychological thrillers of Keith Rommel. Find these and other works at the Hellbender Books tab and all works of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. We're back at Idle Mind Studio talking about history through biography, and I'm going to pick up on Ben Franklin, probably the most important founding father in my estimation. I don't know, some of you may disagree, but uh, between him and Washington, I think you have the two keys to the revolution, Franklin being the diplomat and a thought leader, of course, Washington being the military leader. Ben Franklin, also the senior statesman, he was the founding father who was world famous by the time the revolution came around. So born in Boston in 1706, as a young lad, he runs away from his oppressive brother, who was a printer, and comes to Philadelphia. There he finagles... Actually abusive brother. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nasty brother. <laughs> and uh, starts up, he, he organizes... A business and get started uh, in printing. Um, through many years of of just industrious work and self study, he uh, gets into science. He's notorious or noteworthy, I guess is a better word, not notorious. Noteworthy for uh, at least partial credit for the discovering or defining electricity, electrical current. And the famous uh, kite with the key on it is a true story. Interesting, though, he did that with his son, William, whom he later has a falling out with. Um, So Ben becomes famous because of his electricity exploits and uh, is elevated into a governmental role as representing the colonies in England. Uh, There he, he really tries to be an Englishman, but... Uh, I guess eventually he has a falling out, you could say. Um, As the colonies and England aren't getting along as well, Ben's kind of in the middle of this, trying to keep the peace, and he eventually chooses sides with the colonies. His son, William, though, does not, as governor of of New Jersey, remains loyal to the king, and uh, so there's a big split there for the rest of Ben's life. Although wasn't Ben instrumental in getting him that appointment? He was. In yes. fact, they both were at the coronation of King George III, which I thought was fascinating. Actually, they were, I don't think they were there for the entire um, service. Ben, the elder, uh, had to leave at one point, and uh, William witnessed the whole thing. But uh, yes, William, you know, elevated in society above what his father had achieved, at least among the ranks of the British elite. So then Franklin 
comes back and uh, very soon after, I, you know, I'm not quite sure with the timeline, but I think if you look at how many years did Benjamin Franklin spend in Philadelphia versus how many years was he in England and then France, for the latter half of his life, most of his life was spent overseas. I don't know many people know that. But he gets sent to France as the revolution begins to try to seek allegiance with France, to try to get some money, and if not, get them on our side. And... Uh, he spends several years there trying to do that. And finally, with the victory in New York, at Saratoga, uh, the French uh, come on board. And then the revolution comes to a fairly quick end after that, uh, down at Yorktown. Ben then plays a role with the Constitution. He's at the Constitutional Convention uh, as, an, as an elder and... Uh, doesn't live much beyond that. But I wanted to put out there, Ken, the Ken Burns Ben Franklin has just aired recently. We had four hours of the life of Ben Franklin, and I put it to the Joes. What would you think of it? I think it was a pretty good portrayal. Anything they missed? Anything uh, overdone? Well, I, I liked it a lot. And uh, I, I did think they missed one thing that I was personally rooting for, is that I read from good source that while during this period when, when uh, Ben's in England or France, but the, he's been sort of pushing for reconciliation. He, he was, reconciliation is, you know, there's a lot of uh, patriots that were still hoping that we can avoid war and that we can reconcile with England. We can work out the differences, blah, 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 sending messages to the king saying, hey, if you'll grant us this, we might be able to solve this. He visited Ireland, Ben did, right. and after he visited Ireland and saw what the British were doing to the Irish, he wrote home to a friend and said, after seeing that, I don't think reconciliation is the way to go. I think rebellion is the only answer for America. And I, I, I of course, love that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that, I don't recall in the Ken Burns hearing exactly what turns him I'm trying to recall but you're right there, there was is the visit to Ireland <laughs> well yeah. I think that was probably part of it I think that uh, the, that he may have miscalculated how important the American colonies were to the English rather than the Irish uh, <laughs> Ireland at the time uh, and of course England was much closer especially in those days to Ireland Ireland was much easier to control Mm -hmm. uh, than the colonies, uh, and the colonies were certainly uh, England mismanaged it because the colonies were certainly probably uh, in terms of England's future. That's where their future laid economically, and by their, I can think King George, and by their unjust taxes, and by pushing down these people. Um, not giving them representation, um, it just drove them to rebellion. Well, I think, thinking about what turned Franklin, there was an incident in what was called the cockpit in the parliament where he was grilled. And that was around the Stamp Act or an intolerable right. accident, I don't know if you recall that. Yes, but yes. He probably felt, 
an outcast. Well, he wasn't grilled. He was humiliated. Yeah. So I recall he wasn't even given a chance to respond. He realized he just had to stand there and take abuse. He realized he would never be, um, you know, high ranking in in England. And uh, although it's interesting to juxtapose that with his son William and how William's making out, and William is an illegitimate son, and uh, might have a lot of things going against him. I mean, he's not. You know, he's not from the, the one, upper class. One of the things in the Ken Burns thing that I didn't know that surprised me was just how bad the relationship with William was. And at the end, in Europe, when they met, they met the last time they yeah. actually were in each other's presence, the son, William, wanted sort of to reconcile with his dad, and, and Ben was not accepting it's I didn't I never knew that his their relationship was that bad. So one person I really, really felt bad for the whole time was his wife Deborah. Yeah. All the years he spent away. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot of stories about what he was doing when he was away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh although there's no definitive evidence that he was ever um unfaithful completely. I guess it's sort of like the Clinton thing, right? <laughs> Depending what, <laughs> what relations means or whatever. Um, what what did Franklin do and where and with whom? But he did seem to stay true to her, at least in the historic record, uh, depending what you define as a dalliance. Well, they're, they're, bar- they're buried together, right? They are. They're buried they together. They are buried together. He seemed Philly. to always yes. appreciate her. Uh, the reason he returned to the United States or to America from England was because she was there and she wasn't going to move to England. So obviously he, she meant a lot to him, but she carried the load for him while he was away. Mm-hmm. His business interests, they weren't being run while he was a diplomat. Somebody had to run them. That was Mrs. Franklin who was doing that back home. And, uh, and what happens? She passes away. He's overseas, misses her funeral. I mean, that's, that's just really sad to hear that. So I really, really felt for Mrs. Franklin and, and all that. That's one thing that really stood out to me. Um, they, they did mention a couple times that earlier in Ben's life um, that he was a, a slave owner, but they didn't go into much detail about that. There was a mention of a couple slaves. Um, when they got to England, one of them ran away, but he didn't really go after him is, is how they portrayed it. But uh, and he founded the first anti-slavery group in right. in Pennsylvania when he was when he was back in the colonies. So he did evolve. Oh, no doubt. Over time, no doubt, he evolved his whole lifetime. So it's interesting. The three founders that we randomly picked uh, for this podcast: Thompson, Governor Morris, and Franklin, were anti-slavery in the end. Yeah. So how did we end up with slavery? <laughs> but we haven't done any southerners oh, okay maybe that's that's time for another another podcast yes yeah yeah very interesting well this has been history through biography we've been talking about pennsylvania patriots thank you for listening to history through biography be sure to check out our books keystone tombstones gotham graves murders massacres and mayhem in the mid-atlantic pennsylvania patriots graves of our founders and many more at sunburypress.com and wherever books are sold